Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day as much as I am. I do have some exciting news to tell you. We recently crossed 1,000 downloads on this podcast. So thank you for all my listeners who are currently listening to this podcast as much as possible, as I wouldn't have been able to cross this mark if it wasn't for you guys being able to listen. And it happens to be, I think this is our 50th episode that we're, or 50th podcast that we are releasing right now today. So thank you guys for helping grow this channel as much as possible. As I always say at the end of each podcast, please share with friends or family as it will help grow this channel so we'll be able to keep talking about what things are happening in the market. Now, today we're going to be talking a little bit more. Nightscope has another press release that they just came out and how they're announcing the what's known as the Scout Referral Program. And I'll get into a little bit more details on that in today's podcast. The banks have finally have announced whether or not they're raising their dividends or not. Some of these banks will surprise you on which ones they've actually raised their dividends versus the ones who currently are putting their dividend on freeze. We'll talk a little bit about that today later on in this podcast. JetBlue is uh they they up their offer for Spirit Airlines as shareholders vote on the Frontier bid approaches. That's getting a lot closer and we've talked about how we'd want to be able to talk about this more on this channel. And finally, Nike forecasts downbeat quarterly revenue on lingering China worries, okay? And we're also going to talk about a little bit about what's happening in China, why this worries of happening with Nike. With that being said, guys, before I begin this today's podcast today, I have to remind you that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. I cannot give you legal advice on what you can invest in because I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. I do have small positions in some of these companies that we're talking about today, mainly Nightscope, the banks, I think Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo, I think we're going to be talking about a little bit today in the bank sector. So I do have positions in those as well but I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape or form. Please, before making any financial decisions that you need to go talk to your own professional advisor before making any financial decisions, as this podcast is for information purposes only and for entertainment for those who wish to seek the entertainment as well. With that being said, guys, let's begin today's podcast. First up, Nightscope announces the Scout Referral Program. We talked about yesterday a little bit about how Nightscope had just released what was known as the K1 Hemisphere which I think was kind of a big deal to announce from their company. But now they're announcing today the Scout Referral Program, okay? From 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 Benzinga.com, Nightscope, a developer advanced physical security technology focused on enhancing U.S. security operations, today announced a new referral program called Scout that will pay a referral fee to those who sign up for the Scout program and provide quality leads, Okay. The article goes on to say, in a recent analysis of the new prospect clients that included the question, how did you hear about Nightscope? Most responded answered when Nightscope contacted us. The company investigated further and found that the participants had not heard about Nightscope, nor did they know of such an edge, cut, cutting edge crime fighting technology even existed until one of the Nightscope's team reached out directly. To remedy that problem, Nightscope is launching the Nightscope Scout program, a federal program to generate new business. Interest parties who have signed up for the program must take a proper introduction to a prospective client by providing quality information and data with Nightscope guidance. If the client signs a contract, the company will pay $1,000 per 
autonomous security robot once deployed, subject to terms and conditions. Now, this is very interesting. In a way, this is kind of an interesting program that they're releasing. Sounds like Netscope's trying to make it so that their salespeople aren't being able to call as many people, but I actually kind of like this program that they have going on. I mean, where I currently live, I mean, I technically signed up for it. I mean, I haven't heard back from Nightscope currently, but I mean, I can think of some areas that I think could use a robot potentially. And I know some people who I need to potentially talk to as well to get those going. But at the same time, there's no chance that it will actually happen or not at the end of the day. But I like this program. I mean, think about it. If you could make a little change in the world, right? I think it'd be great. And Nightscope is a company that is willing to pay you $1,000 if a machine gets deployed, right? So, I mean, in a way, this is helping Nightscope be able to handle potential bottlenecks that they're facing. Probably their main bottleneck they're facing is the fact that they most people don't know who their company is. Most people don't even know about the technology that they have. And Nightscope's trying to grow as quickly as possible. So... This program is going to make things interesting to see, especially in future earning calls for their quarterly report. I'm curious to know if they're going to mention if the Scout program is actually working or not. Or maybe this is just a PR move to get more people to get excited about the company. It's hard to tell, but if, if you guys want to make an extra thousand bucks, I guess you can sign up for the program yourself and be able to look for areas that could potentially use one of these robots. So, I mean, what does it hurt to sign up potentially, right? It's not like you have to use all your time to help this company, but I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good call for the company to be able to start using its shareholders from their past financial, uh, financial, what's the word investment periods. So maybe this can work out for them in the long term. Who knows? On to the next article from CNBC, JP Morgan and Citigroup keep dividend unchanged as rivals, including uh, Morgan Stanley boost payments. Now, I've been talking about this for a while because I said that the banks were going to be able to have their stress test coming up, uh, coming up, and it's it's finally happened today, in fact. And it's giving us an idea of what could potentially happen if these banks were to hit a quote-unquote 2008 recession, I believe it is, where they have to prove that they have the capital and the balance to be able to raise their dividends and have uh, share buybacks to the U.S. government in a way, Okay. It says here, J.P. Morgan Chase and Citigroup said Monday that it, its increasingly string, stringent capital requires for, uh, requirements forced the firm to keep their dividend unchanged while rivals announced bumps to their quarterly payouts. Bank of America said that it's raising its quarterly dividend by 5% to $0.22 cents per share. Morgan Stanley said it was raising the payout 11% to, uh, to $0.77.5 cents per share. Wells Fargo boosted its dividend 20% to $0.30 cents per share. Goldman Sachs appeared to have one of the largest dividend increases at 25%, bump from $2.50 per share. Last week, analysis had highlighted Goldman's results, saying that it was a surprise winner of the Federal Reserve annual stress test and that it would have more capital flexibility as a result. While all 34 banks involved in the regulatory exercise passed last week, analysis focused on the biggest American bank, including JP Morgan, saying that the unexpected rise in stress capital buffers would mean they might have to keep dividends flat and scale back or even eliminate share buybacks. J.P. Morgan confirmed some of those fears on Monday, saying that higher future capital requirements are the reason it intended to keep its quarterly dividend frozen at $1 per share. Minutes later, Citigroup disclosed that it was keeping its quarterly payout at $0.51. Cents. Quote, we will be, continue to use our capital to invest in and grow our market-leading business, pay a sustainable dividend, and, be, and will retain capital to fully satisfy our future regulatory requirements, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said in the release. 
He added that the Fed exam showed that the industry could serve as a source of strength for the broader economy during times of uh, tumult. But the worst of investors' concerns appear to have gone unrealized. Morgan Stanley banking analysis Betsy uh, Graceek has warned on Friday that JP Morgan and Citigroup may have to drop share repurchases altogether to stay comfortably above the new required capital levels. In April, JP Morgan announced a new 30 billion stock repurchase plan that began May 1st. When asked if that plan was still intact, a JP Morgan spokeswoman said that the bank continues to have a broad authorization for buybacks. Overall, the dividend increases this year paled to companies to last year's action. Morgan Stanley doubled its dividend after a 2021 stress test. Shares of JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo were roughly unchanged in trading after the close of regular markets in New York, while Morgan Stanley rose 3.3% and Goldman's advanced 1.7%. This gives me some hope that if we do enter a recession, that the banks will survive. This is something I've been talking about for a while. These tests they have to do is they have to be able to prove that I think if I remember reading correctly a few years back that they had to prove that if 2008 situation were to happen again, that the banks could survive. And so this is something they have to do every single year before they want to raise their dividend or do share a repurchase program. And most of these banks seem like they pass. Now, obviously, JP Morgan Chase and Citi obviously are not raising their dividend currently, but that could change potentially. Maybe the economy bounces back faster. Who knows? But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for JP Morgan or uh, Citibank this year, if it was Citibank correction. Yeah, Citigroup, I mean. So, I mean, it's good to know that if a recession is around the corner, things might not be as bad as people think it is, okay? I want you to think about this too, okay? Target on June 11th, I didn't get to report this as much, but earlier this month, Target did raise its dividend from 90 cents a share to $1.08 a share, I think it was. And even Lowe's raised their dividend to $1.05 per share, okay? The reason I bring up the Target one is that Target in particular, and a little disclosure, I do have a small position in Target, so I have to give that disclosure, and I'm not telling you to invest in Target. But we did talk about in the past that Target did have too much backlog. And that's something I had mentioned, and I think in the podcast in the past was, was this backlog just potential advertising advertisement for them as a company? Or is the backlog as serious as they think? Companies don't raise their dividends unless they see a somewhat bright future. Now, granted, some companies like ExxonMobil in the past did just decide we'll just use debt to pay for their dividends. And companies can do that too, technically. But it's good to see that the banks think they'll be able to survive, especially with the talks of fears of a recession around the corner. So it seems like banks might be able to recover a little bit more than they realize. And it's good to see that these banks are going to be able to keep paying out their dividends currently right now and have a couple of share repurchase programs as well. So banks might be something to take a look at. But it, obviously, if the economy does tank, banks will probably be hit the hardest and Wall Street will definitely overreact in that situation if it does happen. But as of right now, their quote unquote stress test, they're passing. So that gives me some hope going forward in the future with the U.S. economy currently right now. On to the next article from the airlines industry from CNBC. JetBlue ups offer for Spirit Airlines as shareholder vote on Frontier bid approaches. Okay, JetBlue Airways again increased its offer for Spirit Airlines with a shareholder vote for a discounter deal to merge Frontier Airlines just days away. Frontier sweetened its offer on Friday. Spirit CEO Ted Christie told CNBC that the Spirit board still found that the deal to combine with fellow budget airline Frontier a superior option. 
Spirit shareholders are set to vote on the Frontier Cash and Stock deal on Thursday after Spirit postponed the vote earlier this month to continue deal talks with both airlines. Either um, combination would create the fifth largest U.S. carrier. The heated bidding war underscores how both JetBlue and Frontier view Spirit as a key to their future growth plans at a time when planes and pilots are in short supply. Spirit has argued that it didn't think a JetBlue deal would pass muster with regulatories, particularly because of its alliance with American Airlines in the Northeast. Quote, after the Spirit board failure to recognize our decisively superior offer, we've discussed our offer directly with Spirit shareholders and are now modifying our proposal in response to shareholders. Express interest to include a monthly payment for shareholders with a certainty of a significant cash premium in closing, JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said in a statement. JetBlue's new offer raises the, re- the reserve breakup fee of $400 million from $350 million if regulators don't approve the deal, and that includes a dividend to Spirit shareholders of $2.50 a share, up from the previous $1.50. It also includes a ticking fee that would pay shareholders $0.10 cents a share each month from January 2023 through the com- um, completion of the termination of the deal. Spirit shares were up 5% in the after-hours trading on the news, while JetBlue's were up less than 1%, and Frontier were up 1%. Spirit and Frontier shares fell sharply in regulatory trading. Frontier on Friday has increased the cash portion of its bid by $2 a share to $4.13 and raised its reverse breakup fee proposal to $350 million matching JetBlue's then offer. Quote, we think that is the most compelling offer for shareholders. Frontier CEO Barry Bifel said in an interview early Monday, Bifel spoke to New York where he's planning to meet with Spirit shareholders this week ahead of the vote on Thursday. Frontier and Spirit did not immediately comment on the revised JetBlue offer. Hopefully we can be able to talk about this on Thursday. And I honestly don't know who's going to win at this point. I mean, they keep sweetening their deals and they're trying to now please the shareholders of Spirit. So Spirit's got to decide now. It's all up into the shareholders' hands. And obviously, if you if you are a shareholder in Spirit Airlines, you've got to make that decision. And... Maybe there's more to it that we don't realize. And obviously, if you've ever been a part of this, like I, I was kind of a part of it back with Pete Procter & Gamble back in, I think it was 2019 when this whole thing happened with Procter & Gamble. And we used to get stuff in the mail all the time saying like, hey, like Nelson Peltz wants to take over. This is why we think he's it's a bad choice, blah, blah, blah. And they went into all the details. And I'm sure Spirit Airlines shareholders are getting the same thing too from both Frontier and JetBlue potentially. So it's going to be interesting to see how this deal goes down and we'll get to find out in a couple of days. But as of right now, I honestly don't know who's going to win this deal in the end. So we're going to keep an eye out for this because like I said, I, I just don't know who who's going to win it at this point. And I don't want to make a prediction, but I mean, it, it's just hard to tell currently right now because the, the, these deals just keep sweetening themselves every single day. It seems like onto the final article that we're going to be talking about and how it uh, ties in with China Nike forecasts downbeat quarterly revenue on lingering China worries. Nike forecasts first quarter revenue below estimates and expects to discount more and wrestles with the pandemic-related disruptions in China, its most profitable market. The company's share fell 3% to $107 after the bell. Analysis are mixed about Nike. Prospects in China this year, even as strict COVID-19 lockdowns have lifted in several of the country's major cities, as people cut down on spending and a penchant for home growth brands such as Liming and Anta remains firm. Quote, we're taking cautious approach to greater China, given uncertainty around additional COVID-19 distribution, uh, correction, disruptions, Nike chief financial officer Matthew Friend said. The company expects first quarter revenue to be flat, up slightly up below estimates of, of a 5.1 in, 
5.1% increase according to Refinitiv IBES data. The guidance was somewhat disappointing, Morganstar analysis David Schwartz said. Fashion retailers in China are also st uh, stuck with piles of unsold stock as the recent reopening has also been seen a flood of goods being shipped from warehouses to store shelves. Nike says gross margins would be under pressure this year due to higher freight and product costs and it discounts more than sell seasons inter, uh, inventories and that arrived lately due to supply snarls. The company inventories rose 23% to 8.4 billion at the end of May as more of its products remained in transit due to supply disruptions. Nike also forecast fiscal 2023 revenue to increase in a low double digits percentages range on the currency neutral basis. For the fourth quarter, the company reported revenue of 12.23 billion, beating estimates of 12.06 billion, helped by higher sales in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Nike recorded a 150 charge related to the decision to exit Russia and transition to business models in a few South American countries. I think Nike is going to be an interesting story going forward. And the reason why I think Nike is going to be an interesting story going forward is if we are in this quote unquote recession, Nike is going to get crushed hard. Okay. I mean, it, their, their whole business brand is, is shoes. But it's going to be interesting if they are making an attempt in South America because maybe one of the things they need to do is sign one of those superstars in the soccer leagues that they have down there. Or I guess in this case, in South America, it's known as football, right? But maybe they need to sign one of those athletes down there to their shoe brand to be able to get more sales, sales in South America. Now, granted, pe people probably in South America can't afford as many shoes, but if they are transitioning to South America, it is something I think Nike should consider thinking about. But the China thing is also interesting too, because they're saying that there are disruptions within China. And I actually looked into this a little bit more. And this is from Bloomberg on, finance, on uh, Yahoo Finance. China's economy improves in June from lockdown induced slump. China's economy showed some improvement in June as the COVID restrictions were gradually eased, although the recovery remains muted. That's the outlook based on Bloomberg's ericative um, index of eight early indicators for this month. The overall gauge returned to the neutral level after deteriorating for two straight months. Eco economic activity picked up in June after financial hub Shanghai lifted its lockdown, allowing businesses to restart and most residents to leave their homes. That can be seen in a rebound in small business confidence, which started growing again after contracting for two months. A survey of over more than 500 smaller firms showed that the demand for production recovered strongly among manufacturing and export-oriented smaller firms outperforming, according to Hunter Chan and Ding Sheng, economicists at Stanford uh, Chartered PLC. However, the manufacturing recovering was more significant than service. They said contact-intense industries such as retail and catering continue to be a drag, while real estate, transport, transport, and information technology reported an acceleration in activity and construction jumped. It, it will take more than a few months to, of strong growth to undo the damage caused to companies by the lockdowns over the past few months. The profits of private and foreign firms fell for the first five months of the year, while those state-owned companies rose almost 10%. Rising activity isn't translating to higher demand for some building materials yet. More steel pans have been idled and inventory levels at major Chinese steel mills have climbed 10.7% in mid-June from earlier in the month and are about 82% higher than the start of this year. Stocks, and this is important, stocks of steel rebar, which is used in construction, rose slightly in June. Beijing has pledged to boost policy measures to support growth, while President Jinping, uh, yeah, Jinping said, saying last week China would strive to meet its goals this year. Stocks were up 
for a fourth week on optimism of stimulus and lockdowns ended with foreign inflows rising. Continuing on with the article, however, the housing sector continued to be a drag on the economy. Property sales declined for the first three weeks of June in the top four cities in China, even though sales in Shanghai last week were mostly recovered on the level before the lockdown. I'm curious to know, like with the China situation currently, if, I mean, if construction is going to start picking up in China again, is it going to cause now shortages in material to build now in construction? And in all seriousness, is it going to cause those prices to go up? I mean, we've already seen gasoline prices within the United States itself. So are they going to now be like, oh, we're now making steel in China and there's not enough steel. We have to build. Is that going to cause a supply and demand issue now potentially in the construction industry? Hard to tell. I mean, now China's back in the picture, it seems like. It says here, continuing on the article, an official index that tracks apartment and home sales has now declined for 11 straight months, a record since China created a private property market in the 1990s. The slump likely continued into June with weekly sales in the top 50 cities contracting from the level last year. Now, this is interesting too. The car market is more is, is making a gradual recovery after lockdown. Based on the sales in the first two weeks of this month, more cars were sold in June than in the same period in 2021. Sales fell in the past three months as COVID restriction caused car plants and dealerships to shut and also prevent people across the country from leaving their homes to go shopping. Total resale, retail sales also dropped in that period with the economics of Beijing and Shanghai the, the worst hit. The recovery in the service industry will likely take longer than its goods. Consumers are still unwilling and unable to go out as much as before since China's stri uh, strict COVID zero policy means that they'll face being quarantined for weeks if they've been in the same location as a positive case. The restrictions and factory closures over the past months also curbed the incomes of many businesses and workers, even though they weren't locked down. The export sector likely supported demand in June as companies ramped up shipments and that have been delayed and ports worked to clear the backlog of containers. Although South Korea exports in the first 20 days of the month fell for the first time in more than a year, that was largely because of fewer working days this year than last. Finally, the daily average of Korean shipments rose 11% in the period and the same time in 2021. Experts have been a strong uh, driver for China's economy and the strong growth continues to defy predictions that would slow um, markedly to start to fall. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I do expect there will be potential more restrictions in China, especially with the zero COVID policy, especially if there becomes a new case of COVID potentially. And that's not even talking about the monkeypox situation that hasn't been talked about as much. I mean, it's not as bad, but I mean, who knows what China's going to do? China's just a huge wild card right now. And companies like Nike that are huge into China are going to be affected whatever China decides to do currently. And it's, it's just insane what's happening with China. I mean, Nike Nike's going to give us a better idea going forward of what's happening to the economy because when things go south, people won't be buying shoes anymore. And China's a huge indicator of what's potentially going to happen. I still think, like I said earlier, I think construction materials are going to be costing more soon to build things if China's really back, okay? There will be a shortage in my opinion because there probably will be if people are building again. And the shortages will probably continue across the board and the market's just going to go insane. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens if, if I'm correct, obviously. I could be completely wrong about all this at the end, but 
it's gonna be it's just a thought I had when studying about China earlier. I was like, how is this gonna affect housing? How's it gonna affect construction? How's it gonna affect the steel industry as well? Because I think most steel companies in the United States are actually doing pretty well because China's been shut down for most of the year. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, guys. With that being said, guys, as I always said in the end of each podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed being able to record and be able to talk about these events. I ask that if you have, please like and enjoy it. Please like and share this podcast with friends or family as every like and subscription that we get can help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep talking about what's happening in the markets and what's happening out there. Please also like and subscribe if you haven't liked and subscribed to this podcast as well as it helps grow this podcast as well for those of you who listen outside of whatever podcast form that you listen to. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.